Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you like listening to? Um... <laughs> chart music. <laughs> chart music. Praise youngsters, and welcome to a vaguely festive episode of Chart Music, the podcast that gets its hands right down the back of the settee on a random episode of Top of the Pops. I'm your host, Al Needham, and by my side today stand Taylor Parks. Hello, yes. And Neil Kulkarne. Hello there. Oh, Team ATV Land in the house. <laughs> the little Kevin Ginger Joe to my C-Mac, if you will. <laughs> so yeah, if you're listening to this before Christmas, I extend the heartiest of seasonal greetings and all that shit. And if you're listening to it afterwards, well, thank fuck that shit's over with. <laughs> Bollocks to Christmas. Anyway, boys, pop things, interesting things. Fill my stocking up with them right now, if you please. You know what? There have been a couple of pop and interesting things in the past few months. Yes. I've done a couple of interviews with sort of heroes. Horace Panther, uh, which was nice. Did that for Bass Player magazine. Nice. Had to think of some bass-related questions. That was lovely. Um, and, oh, yeah, actually, when I spoke to um, Horace... Terry was sat nearby and I'd never no. sort of spoken to Terry. I was really starstruck and he got up no. and he sort of walked away because he knew that Horace had to do his interview. And I was just like, you're right, mate. And he was like, yeah, you're right. And that was that. But you, <laughs> that could have been a better moment, granted. Yeah. But I have now spoken to Terry Hall, which was lovely. Hell. And um, what else? Oh, yeah. And I spoke to uh, Dennis Bavel. Um, oh, for the quietus, which Lord. was just magical. I mean, there was so much I, I didn't have time to do because I had about an hour with him. Um, so I couldn't wow. I couldn't speak to him about like Fela Kuti and I really wanted to speak about his work with him. But man, the 20 minutes in which he described exactly how he made silly games was oh. one of my favourite interview experiences ever. He was wonderful. Wow. So those two things were nice. And I've also been going to some gigs um, since Bloody the, hell, uh, Neil, you are a boy about time, I have been you? busy, you know, since the grand reopening. I've been to a few. I went to see Little Sims in Brom. It was great. Went to see JLS. Fuck. At the, <laughs> at the Resorts World Arena, or the NEC, as it should be called, really. 
JLS were fantastic, by the way. I mean, I was I was the only and definitely the oldest bloke there. But um, <laughs> there was a very revealing moment that kind of revealed the demographic for me because I was I'm, I'm a bit shady about JLS. Don't really know much about them. Mm. Um, although I do know that their name stands apparently for Jack the Lad Swing, which is pretty awful, isn't yes. it? Oh. But um, yeah, the, the, there was a revealing moment before the gig where the DJ, who was awful, played "Let It Go" from Frozen, and the crowd went fucking nuts, which was quite oh. revealing of the demographic. <laughs> But it was a really good pop show. It avoided that terrible thing that pop bands sometimes do of having a live band to prove their chops, you know. It always What were they supposed to let go, Neil? Their bladders. <laughs> it was weird. It was weird. But they no live band, just everything played off a laptop, bone-crunchingly loud with a lot of hysteria. It was good. And then sort of just two two nights ago, actually, uh, went to Human League, um, also yeah. in Brom. Altered images in support, and unfortunately I missed them. Uh, I was going to go the full Shimoli and kind of get tarted up, but a quick Google search revealed that Claire Grogan is entirely happily married, annoyingly. I thought she might see me, you know, gyrating my hips in a sexy manner in the (laughs) press row and perhaps, you know, send an emissary out to me with a a billet to do to get me backstage, but it wasn't Mm, to be. Pop stars, man, always let you down, don't they? (laughs) I did catch the tail end of Tom Bailey from the Thompson Twins. Oh, Um, dear. He still can't sing that Thompson twat. Uh, But I was really close to the side of the stage. Um, uh, I was on the side of the stage that Joanne was on, and I always fancied Joanne. And I swear down there was eye contact. Um, (laughs) But they were great. They were absolutely brilliant. Um, But, I mean, one of the things that Phil raised on stage, if you like, that he mentioned, was that he couldn't get round Birmingham anymore. And that's, it, it's not a pop and interesting thing, but if you'll allow me, I just need a slight sidetrack. <laughs> I need catharsis about Birmingham, <laughs> about their fucking road and traffic department. Um, I now work four days a week in Birmingham and regular listeners to chart music will know I'm a tolerant cove with very much a live and let live attitude. Definitely, yeah. Especially to my yim-yam brethren, like <laughs> Taylor, for instance, you know, who... Despite being saddled with the with the comic sands of accents, they do live in England's <laughs> second city, you know, and they should be rightly proud of the fact. But as a city right now, Brum is just not fit for purpose. My commute that used to be a brief and breezy 25 minute jaunt from Cov to Digbeth has mm. now transformed into just this hour long shitmare of fury um, oh. where I find myself vacillating between homicidal, suicidal, genocidal rage. And the terrible thing is, it's making me into a racist. It's No, um, no. You know, which is no good. I mean, I find myself, seeing as I'm spending like eight hours a week stuck in Birmingham traffic, I just find myself really raging. And it's going beyond its righteous target of the kind of road planning department, who are, Mm. after all, to blame. It's percolating now into just atrociously racist anti-yim-yam language in my car. <laughs> I, 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 can't, I just can't help it. I, I, you know, the other day I found myself I, just having appalling thoughts and putting appalling thoughts in the head of just innocent pedestrians and other drivers. The other day I found myself looking at a guy who was looking at another guy digging a ditch um, in a contraflow and just, you know, slipping into appalling racist language about yim yams just kind of I, I drive around just saying yeah well i don't actually have to speed this because i'm a brummy and i eat my own shit and i fuck my nan and all this atrocious <laughs> terrible shit and i had to stop myself so i'd just like to apologize to my yim yam brethren which of course includes taylor but yeah fuck you birmingham road and traffic <laughs> department fuck you 
That poor bloke digging a ditch. His life used to be so much better when he was working at the car wash. (laughs) (laughs) How you been, Taylor? Well, you know, back in a familiar pattern, like frustration, Mm. lethargy, self-loathing, mild dyspepsia. Uh, Mm. (laughs) To to paraphrase Elvis Costello, every day I don't write the book. Um, I'm a bit fed up because I had my booster um, in November. And yeah. I read up on the stats that basically this makes you invulnerable to the Delta variant, just frothing mm. over with antibodies. And I'm like, yes, gave me a new lease of life. I was back in the gym, meeting friends, taking the tube, you know, it was beautiful. Licking like, people's uh-huh. faces. Oh, yeah. I was, I was optimistic. <laughs> I was upbeat, live. Honestly, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have recognised me. Um, <laughs> then after about a week of that, I turned on the news and it said, da, 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 tonight's headlines. Guess what? Um, it's time to go home on your own again uh-huh. and stay there, uh-huh. wiping down packs of antibacterial wipes with an antibacterial wipe. <laughs> but, uh, what a refreshing change. I've forgotten how quietly great it is not to be under house arrest. Um, mm. And as a mm. Londoner, uh, you have to, you know, as a responsible Londoner, you have to take the lead and say, okay, we're the first target for this new variant. So we're the ones who have to curtail our activities first. Omicron came to Nottingham first, mate. Well, you know, it was curious. <laughs> <laughs> it hurt so much. Yeah, it's not good. It's, this isn't good for me. That it, as Laurence Olivier says in Rebecca, I have become boorish from living alone. Um, mm. and my Christmas present shopping has been screwed right by something else. I'm right. I met this bloke who makes sculptures out of lollipop sticks. You know, like cathedrals and ships, houses of Parliament, mm. all perfectly to scale uh, and fashioned entirely out of lollipop sticks and glue. So mm. I commissioned him to make me a Christmas present for someone. Uh, I told him I want a sculpture of a lollipop stick. And he said, how big do you want it? I said, three-quarter scale. Fucking joker. He said he couldn't do it. I was fuming. Fuming. What am I meant to get Amanda Holden now? Another clavicord. (laughs) Still, there's a lot of exciting options for the new year, right? I made a list of them. Um, Mm -hmm. Become the second person to invent the internal combustion engine. Uh, try to restart World War One. <laughs> Form a band called Dead Heat. Nice. Oh. Write a letter to Mick Jagger and pin him <laughs> down on whether the song Dancing with Mr. D really was about Fred Dynage. <laughs> um, convince Gary Davis to let me ghostwrite his scandalous tell-all autobiography working title Camel Unfiltered <laughs> finally contrive an opportunity to say Mr Hollinshead if you didn't want your autopsy you shouldn't have died in the first place uh, train imaginary animals to jump on and off some coloured boxes and or through the barrier into objective reality, starving and curious. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, and, I mean, you know, if all else fails, they're doing 30% off the box set of Cannon and Ball Series 11. <laughs> Although I've heard bad things. Yeah, not their best. 
So, before we get stuck into the selection box that is this episode of Top of the Pops we're about to peruse, let's get the business stuff out the way. So, first of all, massively soz for the interruption to your chart music service last month, but it couldn't be helped because uh, one of us took badly with the spiteful armoured bollock. Mm. On the men now, so everything's alright, but yeah, really sorry that we didn't do your chart music uh, earlier this month. That's... Uh, just hurts me man (laughs) secondly you might have heard that great big owl who we've been rolling deep with for the past few years is winding up and you know people were fretting about that and got in touch Mm -hmm. with us and and i just want to say that don't you worry we're already linking up with a new collective and to quote krs1 we will be fresh for 22 you suckers (laughs) (laughs) that's lovely to hear Nothing can stop us. You can't stop chart music. Nobody can stop chart music. <laughs> Before we move on, notes and corrections. Uh, because in the last episode, rock expert David Stubbs said that Rumble in the Jungle by the Fugees was the only time that anyone has ever sampled ABBA, which is bollocks. Because, fucking hell, loads of money doing up the house, sampled money, money, money. And we covered that in a fucking previous episode of chart music. I mentioned that. <laughs> Was it an episode that David was on? No, he wasn't on that one, but (laughs) I was on it, and I knew it, and I didn't say anything. So that makes me look a right cunt. So (laughs) I'm sorry that you found out that I'm a thick cunt, pop crazy youngsters. I would have corrected him, but I'd have a listen when other people are talking. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, also the the Queen and I by the Justified Ancients of Moo Moo, they sampled Dancing Queen. So there we go, there's another one. Wasn't that quite a big deal at the time? Yes, it was. Because it wasn't so much sampled as just play huge chunks of it and Mm. uh, Abba put the foot down and so they went off with someone from the NME to present a gold disc to Abba for sales rendered. Couldn't find them and so just gave it to a prostitute in Stockholm, (laughs) which was nice. Yeah, that's thoughtful. Also, and probably more importantly, I would like to make right now a public apology to Neil Kulkarne for accusing him of liking Kiss on Twitter. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a hot-button issue for me, Al, because Tell um, the it's tale, a Neil. constant... For, the, for those of us who don't use Twitter. On Twitter, an awful lot of people were sharing their sort of Spotify lookbacks, yes. you know, where you, get, where you get told of all the stuff you listen to. And I just suggested that uh, a better way of displaying your immaculate music taste was a you know an old rough book or an mm. old exercise book where you'd scrawled loads yes. of names on it and I, and I showed a picture of my one from I think 1986 yes. when I was about 13 now in tiny letters prince is there and also in tiny letters the word kiss is there which I genuinely wrote down in 1986 because I just fucking loved that song mm. um al um, jump into conclusions. Oh, yeah. I have to say, <laughs> accuse me of liking the band Kiss. Um, just yeah. like to assure all pop crazy youngsters that will never ever happen. It's an ongoing battle between me and Sophia, uh, my youngest daughter, who's trying to convince me of the worth of Kiss via the song "I Was Made for Loving You." It's not going to happen. I will never like Kiss. They're a fucking awful band. And whilst I'm here, and if Sophia is listening. Priest are better than maiden, and one day you will learn. What are you going to do to stop her from trying to foist kiss upon you, Neil? I can't. You've got to we... put your foot down, mate. You've got to... Drastic action <laughs> is needed. Next time there's a, she's got a parents' evening, go with kiss makeup on. <laughs> Flicking your tongue out at the teacher while they're talking to you. You know what? I suspect she's just saying it to fucking wind me up. 
She don't mm. listen to her much. With that sort of era, she listens to New York Dolls way more than she listens to Kiss. So, um, no, there, there's not a lot I can do about it. I, th- I You know, and then she, you know, because my little uh, grandsons, they love Kiss as well. Um, oh, no. She, well, yeah. She How tell- old are they? They're, um, oh God, now you're asking, they're eight and ten now. Oh, and um, when we go for walks in the park, um, Sophia whispers this in their ear. Gramps hates Kiss. And they find branches and hit me with them um, in, in an attempt to try and convert me. But on this, I stand as firm as the Rock of Gibraltar. I cannot compromise on this. They're a fuck-awful band. So you're forgiven now. Don't worry about that. An easy misunderstanding, to be honest. Thank you, Neil. That means a lot, man. <laughs> so that's it, then. We're all, we're all cleared up with it. The slate is wiped clean and we can move on. But before we move on, you know what we've got to do. We've got to drop the knee and give thanks to the latest batch of pop-crazed youngsters who have jingled our G-string through the medium of Patreon. And in the $5 section this month, we have Mick Wright. Or maybe Mike Wright, I'm not sure. Ron Sims, Cole, Tim Turner, Paul Webb, James Harris, Chris Durbin, Mark, Carol Tennant, Will, Andrew Crudgington, Gareth Windybank, Jimmy Greaves, Dave Morris, Paul Stillwell, Eamon Kane, Colin Rooney, Andy Barrett, Andy McLeod, Helen Hawkins and a pacey back pass from Morris Malpass. Oh, babies, we fucking love you. Yeah, yeah and cheers, Jimmy. Yes. <laughs> and in the $3 section, we have Jamie Anderson, Matthew Kendrick, Rich Riddle, Jason Hoyle, Sigrun, Lee Villette, Gary Mulcahy, Lauren Shaw, Padraig Holmes, Joe Laythorne, and Martin James. Mwah! We love you, babies. <laughs> and Don Whiskerando and Doug Grant. Well, well, well. You shoved an extra handful down the G string this month didn't you you get to come into the special room where we sit on your lap and whisper a dissertation about racy in your ears you lucky boys critical racy theory (laughs) and a special thanks to tony who's only gone and hit us all off with christmas presents this year actual christmas presents in boxes and shit good lord can you believe that Uh, yeah i'm i'm sending them on to you in good time so Oh, Tony, that's over and above and away and beyond the call of duty, and we are massively grateful. Thank you. Cheers, Tony. Thank you. Thank you. You know we're going to open them. It's just going to be like a boxing glove <laughs> on a spring. <laughs> so, yeah, as always, when we do a Christmas one, this episode is dedicated to all the pop craze Patreons because they've kept us going through this miserable Pinch face cunt of a year, and we thank them forever and ever and ever and ever. And as well as getting this episode of chart music in full without adverts, the pop craze Patreons get to tamper and a scamper, fiddle and a diddle, and rig and a jig and a reconfig the all new Christmas chart music top 10. Here we go, chaps. Are you ready? Yes, let's have it. Fucking music! We've said goodbye to sharks, piss, fire, oven-ready women, 
Taylor Parks has 20 romantic moments and the continuity Westlife, which means none up, five down, one non-mover and four new entries. Down two places from number eight to number ten, Jeff Sex. Last week's number six, this week's number nine, rock expert David Stubbs. First new entry this week comes straight in at number eight, Staircase of Cock. A two-place drop from number five to number seven. Here comes Jism. Last week's number two drops four places to number six, Romocop. Into the top five, and it's a new entry at number five for Tyler the XXX Privately Educated. <laughs> no change for the second week running at number four for Bummer Dog. Last week's number one has finally dropped to number three. The bent cunts who aren't fucking real. <laughs> it's a brand new entry straight in at number two. Skin heady heady. Which means... <laughs> this week's number one and the highest new entry and the chart music Christmas number one. The popular orange vegetable. Oh. Oh, Oh, what a chart, pop craze youngsters. That is a surprise, that number one. Um, As is the dropping of bent cunts who aren't fucking real. Oh, man, they had it in 2021, didn't they? Mm -hmm. Fucking hell. They're, yeah. (laughs) They'll be disappointed not to get the... They're like the House Martins with Caravan of Love. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't quite make it. So... The popular orange vegetable. Obviously a psych band to my mind. You know, did a few festivals with Bummer Dog. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Staircase of Cock, though. <laughs> yeah. What what are they saying? They sound a bit new metal to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah perhaps so, yeah. Papa Roach-like. Yes. <laughs> Tyler the XXX privately educated. Well, that's modern rammel, isn't it, that we needn't concern ourselves with. <laughs> He's definitely got a tattoo somewhere. Possibly a tattoo of his own face on his, on his yeah. face that fills his entire <laughs> face. So he, he just looked like he's, he's gone over with a pencil on some graph paper of a photo of himself. And it looks shit. <laughs> and of course, skin heady heady. They do fun sing-along cover versions of um, Oi Tunes, don't they? <laughs> they could do a tour with Oi Division. Oof. <laughs> so if you want in on the pulsatingly exciting lifestyle of the Pop Craze Patreons, as well as the ability to be able to sleep at night, safe in the knowledge that you and you alone are keeping the world's greatest podcast where people wang on about old episode of Top of the Pops for fucking ages going. You see that keyboard, you flex them fingers, you mash, 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 patreon.com slash chart music. Step up to that pay window, Pull the elastic of our G-string back and shove it down. Thank you. Yeah, let <laughs> us know it's Christmas time. So this episode, Pop Craze Youngsters, takes us all the way back to December the 28th, 1972. Oh, and you may have noticed just there, it's not the usual Christmas Day special that we do at this time of year. But yes, it's another opportunity for the show ponies of pop to trot about in the winner's circle of that year and 
Oh my fucking god! This this fucking episode, chaps. I know, man. It's fucking gargantuan, isn't it? Oh yeah. Well, for me, this is without a shadow of a doubt. I think the greatest episode we've ever covered. Um, yes. These sort yep. of end of year roundup shows. They usually sort of militate against thinking there was any kind of golden age ever because, you know, habitually as listeners uh, to music of the past, when thinking about the quality of a musical era, we kind of look at albums lists, don't we? Yeah. Um, But that's not really the experience of pop, which is really about what music we experience coming at us from a load of sources, often from a load of sources we can't control, you know, passing cars, clothes shops, the radio the fifth form centre mm. stereo or whatever it might be gives you perhaps more true vision of pop. And because these end-of-year shows are often seemingly random or at least entirely mercenary in their methodology of how they choose what records to play, we usually mm. come out of these end-of-year shows surmising that, yeah, you've got some gold, but they're also reminders of the more humdrum reality that, God, there was a load of shit out there too, no matter what the era. But this episode really does give you the impression or gave me the impression that 72 is something of a peak year. Um, yes. something of a great high point like 66 like 81 um, and I'd happily have 72 as a, in there as a zenith too it's a fucking amazing episode of a fucking amazing year um, the yes. year that me and Taylor were born in yeah. so it's bound to yeah. be amazing for pop oh yeah 1972 year that God made me thanks <laughs> thanks man nice timing because as great as 1972 appears to be here it's a bit of a drag being born in 1972 because from the moment you become aware, your entire life is played out against a backdrop of decline. You know, like, I mean, the, mm. the mm. soon to Merry come... Christmas, everyone. The soon to come oil crisis is one of the key events of the 20th century as it's basically the mm. bridge between one era and another in terms of the economy and ultimately the, the, the culture of the West, you know. And it may be partly our modern day perception but when you look at footage of britain and british people from 1972 it still looks like it should be soundtracked by swinging 60s library music you know or maybe Mm. something off ziggy stardust you know uh if you look at footage from 1975 or 1976 and even if it's showing kids playing hopscotch it everything looks like it should be soundtracked by the first few minutes of Shine On You Crazy Diamond, you know. <laughs> or Black Sabbath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 1972, Carry On Abroad. 1976, Carry On England. That's Not only is that a precipitous <laughs> decline, it tells you everything because the first of those is the old world excited by and trying to embrace modernity and adventure. And the the other is the old world collapsing in on itself with nowhere left to go um, and ending up mm, with Patrick yeah. Mower. So for 1972 <laughs> births, it's strange to look back on a life spent watching things disappear and worse things yeah. appear, you know. And, of course, there's obvious exceptions in terms of social attitudes and medicine and, you know, but in general, we're at a disadvantage compared to older people who at least got a taste of an optimistic world, and younger people who grew up in the current shit show and 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 are used to things like society as combat and the state mm-hmm. as a disruptive rather than a steadying influence in their lives. And whereas we yeah. were raised in one world and then sudden you know prepared for a cozy social democracy and then suddenly as adults, dumped into a totally different society for which we were not prepared, which is why our whole generation is so weirdly obsessed with 
and simultaneously in love with and terrified of the lost details of our collective past. This doesn't happen mm. with other generations, right? There, there were no middle-aged blokes in 1972 doing six-hour podcasts about the 1920s. <laughs> Right. No, 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 no. The thing about flagpole sitting, right? Is like, you know, the people always get it wrong when they talk about sarsaparilla. Right? It, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. They they all had long hair at the sides and wore leather jackets with a shirt and tie, and got with the program. You know, whereas we are all yeah, essentially yeah. the baby in one of the best songs written around this time and about this time, "The End of the Rainbow" by Richard and Linda Thompson. Mm, um, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Although probably no need to be quite that rude about our sisters. <laughs> I've been immersed in the early 70s lately because I've been on YouTube watching videos of ILEA TV, which was a closed-circuit oh. television network for schools and colleges run by the Inner London Education Authority from 1969 through most of the 70s broadcasting in that very time-specific format of black-and-white videotape. And I'm pleased mm. and surprised to see that loads of it survives and is on YouTube. And the bulk of this output is precisely what you would expect from people who went to teacher training college in the late 1960s. <laughs> like, there's a lunchtime magazine programme which opens with a discussion between a heavily bearded man in a tie and four student union presidents, one of whom is wearing a razor blade around his neck on a chain which I wish he'd lent to the presenter because I really doubt he's got access to a regular supply of cocaine on the 1970s campus. Uh, although you would need some kind of stimulant to make it to the end of that discussion. Um, but if you do, you're rewarded with an appearance from Trevor Phillips with a full head of hair. Um, but it gets stranger the further in you go, right? These programmes, there's a, there's a programme for the ladies called Making the Most of Yourself the Changing Shape of Women, which is essentially a a televisual finishing school presented as feminist self-empowerment. It's really weird. There's a posh old lady called Mrs. Mary Young um, who started classes in poise, dress and personality for the ILEA, you know, in the days when there was money to burn, right, in education. Um, (laughs) Even though her round, puffed-up hair looks like it should have one of the American gladiators inside it, like <laughs> propelling her head into other people's heads. Um, so, so Mrs. Mary Young, I'm the Mrs. to prove that she hasn't been left on the shelf, um, introduces two of her students, Mrs. Parrish and Sandra. And then first she makes Sandra get up on a runway and walk backwards and forwards side on to show off her terrible posture. Now, Sandra is a, is a flaxen-haired hippie chick in sweater mm-hmm. and, and flared jeans. And she walks back and forth with this sort of cute, slightly stoned, drooping posture and frankly looks quite sexy and cool. But Mrs. Mary Young, with absolute contempt, says, well... Now you see quite clearly why her mother was so keen for her to attend this class. If Sandra doesn't do something about her line, she'll end up looking like a tired old lady before she's 30. (laughs) And then she turns to Mrs. Parrish and says, now let's have a look at Mrs. Parrish's needs and gets out a tape measure. (laughs) So here we are, the biggest measurement around the curve of the seat. 
you're not wearing a foundation garment, are you? Hmm. It's not quite spare rib, but yeah. you, you get a more traditional 70s vibe in the programmes for younger children, right? You get curb drill from a man called Mr. Safety, whose appearance and manner does suggest his name may well prove bitterly ironic. Is this thickly mustachioed Jason King slash Peter Sarstedt abomination mm. with like, shifty, terrified eyes? Wearing a, a silver spangly jumpsuit unzipped to the navel and latex gloves. Um, and he sings this song that goes, Hey, it's Mr. Safety here. When I'm around, you've got nothing to fear. <laughs> the gentleman doth protest too much. Um, and to the point where <laughs> at one point he says, Every day on the road, two children will be killed and 142 injured and others will be burned in a fire or drowned. And you expect him to continue, unless my demands are met. Um, <laughs> but wait, look, let me, let me quote you this passage in full, um, lest you doubt that Mr. Safety has the gift of the gab, right? He says, <laughs> Now, talking of animals, has anyone been to Africa? They have a special code <laughs> there, and it says, Never run in front of a crocodile. And they call it the Green Croc Code. Did oh, you like dear. that? Total silence from the kids <laughs> in the studio. But seriously, would you run in front of a crocodile? I'm sure you wouldn't. You see, a crocodile, if it ran over a car, couldn't hurt it. But a car could run over a crocodile and kill it. And it could kill you too. <laughs> At which point he turns to the silent, miserable kids and says, Now, how many of you like playing with balls? I think Mr. Safety is probably dead now. Mm. But unfortunately, it didn't happen before his reggae song about the Green Cross Code. (laughs) But look, 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 look. Elsewhere, music is the crowning glory of the ILEA TV output because this is what's really great about it. These clips from Music Alive, their their music show, which are genuinely great, oh, yeah. even if they could perhaps be accused of focusing more on what the staff think the kids should hear than what they actually want to hear. Mm. A lot of this is from 1972, and yet the acts we see on this year's Christmas Top of the Pops are conspicuous by their absence. <laughs> and instead we get the third-ear band improvising in the studio. Whoa. Um, Yeah, Matching Mole doing a 15-minute version of Smoke Rings. Caution contains flashing images. Um, A four-song acoustic solo set from Stormcock-era Roy Harper, um, who's clearly unwell, uh, and loads of mistakes (laughs) and false starts left in. And they introduce it with the phrase, but we decided not to edit. Um, all of this beamed out to the, the brutal, crumbling red brick schools of inner London in 1972. You know, to give them a taste of fucking culture, right? White head style. All these little thugs with bowl cuts and afros, like, glowering at the big telly rolled in on casters, right? Getting a maximum dose of the Canterbury sound. It's like these ILEA kids, they don't need no education. They don't need no thought control. They need a a slightly ragged jam session from the soft machine 
and <laughs> veiled instructions to seize control of the means of production as as good working class people should while the producers of music alive are over here on the beanbags good luck comrades <laughs> coming up later on ILEA TV a salute to Eric Honecker where to get the best red leb and how to stab a police horse in the bollocks with a knitting needle it is weird being born in 72 because you're going to miss out on every subsequent supposed pop era in a sense so you're going to be too young really to you know be a punk yeah. or a post-punk or a new romantic and then by the time you're old enough to perhaps feel part of something you're so cynical that you could never be part of anything. So, (laughs) you know, when rave and things like that start happening in the 90s, which I suppose you could argue would be the next sort of epochal pop moment, you're too old to to really feel part of it. So you you really do fall in between the cracks if you're born in 72. Um, Too young to be, yeah, part of things in the late 70s and early 80s. I'm too old by the time things start getting exciting again. Yeah, I remember when rave was, I was like 16, 17, and it was like... uh, so what's this all about? Well, you go and stand in a field with hundreds of random people and you just kind of lose your own personality and you all become one. And it's like, oh, that sounds like literally the worst thing. Yeah, this is this is not what interested me at that age. No, I mean, ecstasy was a great drug, but it was kind of, yeah, an at-home thing for me. I didn't want to join in with a load of other people by that age. Yeah, well, anyway, fuck rave. We'll deal with that another day. <laughs> Let's isolate on the music of 1972 because, fucking hell, when I looked at this episode, the jaw swang open. Mm. It's just banger after banger after banger after banger. And then a huge crescendo at the end. Uh, I'm, I was just looking at this thinking, we've got a very long day ahead of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to do a really long episode this time. and the thing is it's not just fantastic songs throughout this episode it's amazing performances just really unforgettable performances i mean if you wanted to show the youth how insanely brilliant top of the pops pop music the 70s and our fucking lives could be you sit them down in front of this episode and then you pity them for being born in the wrong century it's that good (laughs) so first question chaps when i say the music of 1972. What's immediately occurring in those massive, pulsating musical brains of yours? And so many different artists being at the absolute top of their game. Yes. Off the top of my head, just like, you know, three instantly occur. T-Rex, Rolling Stones, Curtis Mayfield. Just, I mean, just so fucking much going on. Can yes. did the best album, I think. And, and, and just... Every band, when because like when you do think about the past, of course you do come back to albums quite a lot. Every band seems to be just crafting great, amazing records in 1972. Mm. There's also, and this is a sidetrack, but there's a pleasingness about that number 72. I don't know what mm. it is, but there's just something nice about it. It's it's more aesthetically pleasing to me than 73 or 74 or 75. And this is a glam era, but I'm not entirely sure it's called glam yet. Mm. So many bands and so many artists just in their imperial phase, I think, in 72, yeah. um, you know, with a real suggestive kind of possibility of where 70s pop might go. Um, yeah. So not only just amazing tunes on this episode, but so many sort of tracks laid down if you like for the future as well it's an amazing year 1972 never really comes up in the conversation when people talk about great music years but i, I had a look at my record collection before mm. this and it's rammed with 72 so you know stuff like 
Brother, Brother, Brother by the Isley Brothers, America Eats Its Young by Funkadelic, Still Bill by Bill Withers, Floyd Joy by The Supremes, There It Is and Get On The Good Foot by James Brown, The Soundtrack to The Heart Of Their Cup, yeah. Superfly by Curtis Mayfield, Backstabbers by The OJs, On The Corner by Miles yes, Davis, yes, yes. I'm Still In Love With You by Al Green, Talking Book by Stevie Wonder, Round Two by The Stylistics, What You See Is What You Get by The Dramatics, Donny Hathaway Live, the Watts Stack soundtrack, and Trouble Man by Marvin Gaye's yeah, just yeah. come out in America, not over here yet. And that is just a small sliver of music that's available at the moment. That's the non-white <laughs> section of uh, 1972. I was going to say, Al, if you look very closely at that list, you might eventually spot the reason why 1972 <laughs> is not really seen as a great year for music by most yeah, prominent true. rock and roll critics. Yeah. Neil, you've said that a lot of amazing bands are at the peak, but one of the striking things about this episode is that out of the 13 acts we're going to see, yeah. uh, only two of them were part of last year's Christmas fair, and, and one of them's only here because it was last year's Christmas number one. It's almost like a cartel of new faces and old yeah. acts have, have come together to drag us out of the 60s and, and begin what is the proper early 70s and the golden age of Top of the Pops. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. And stylistically, the way this episode is directed as well, the title sequence and everything else, I don't think it gets any better in the 70s than this. Mm. Um, You know, the mix of audience with artists and just the camera work and everything about it, they have really nailed this show to almost perfection in this stage. By looking at this, it's obvious that the golden age has begun, despite all because of the generation gap that appears to be opening up in pop. But it's still getting coated down. Consider the following television review by Bob Phillips in the Coventry Evening Telegraph earlier this year. Headline, pop without the sparkle. Nostalgic 30-year-olds nursing teen-beat memories of Adam Faith, Duffy Power and Terry Dean must stare aghast at the juvenile, amateurish claptrap which the BBC puts out each Thursday night as their sole concession to pop music. Who can suppress a shudder at today's scene when comparing it to 6-5 special already steady go and those jolly, lank-haired girls, all starry-eyed, who introduced us to Marty Wilde and Lord Rockingham's Eleven in the innocent atmosphere of a youth club social? Now Top of the Pops is fragmented bits of film, flashing lights, and unkempt youths in spangles and string vests. (laughs) All the vitality and energy, the enthusiasm and immediacy of contemporary pop music has been brushed aside in the interests of appealing to an imaginary audience of lovelorn ten-year-olds. Tricked up camera angles, cavernous echo effects, and the strained jollity of Tony Blackburn, Jimmy Savile, and Ed Stewart cannot disguise the desperate mediocrity of it all. <sighs> up yours, Grandad. Too right. Get with the fucking program, Daddy, eh? Kids love cavernous echo effects yeah. and trippy visuals. He like pants people, though. <laughs> uh, yeah. Obviously. Because he's a fucking dad. Yeah, what a fucking rotter. I mean, it's hard to know what to say about it, because it just, it literally Mm. is someone saying, 
Oh, yeah, T-Rex and uh, Slade. It's all shit, isn't it? It's better when it was Lord Rockingham's Eleven. Yeah. Well, that's literally what he's saying. Who needs Mark Boland when I've got Skiffle? Yeah. It's ludicrous, but it's always like that. I was flicking through the first episode ever of Top of the Pops mm. on the newspaper archive site just to see what they said about it. Slagged off on day one. Yeah, yeah. The essential thrust of the review was, oh, this isn't as good as uh, Thank You, Lucky Stars. Yeah, yeah. Where's Cliff Richard? Yeah, yeah. It's the same shtick, isn't it? Young people are disgusting and their pop music is disgusting. Yes. Yeah. Who's this David Bowie? Uh, <laughs> did he ever sing Donald Where's Your Trousers? No, he fucking didn't. <laughs> I mean, while doing the research for this episode, that the kids were taking over big style. There was an article in the Daily Mirror called Tots of the Pops, mm. where they were going on about how youth clubs were starting to run their own discos because the kids were really getting into the scene, man. They interviewed some of the kids, said what they like, and they said, but where? T-Rex, Gary Glitter, it's it's mint. Mm. Um, and one girl said, oh, well, when I'm at home, I have to listen to old people's music like Tom Jones. <laughs> <laughs> and when I'm at school, I have to listen to matching moles. <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> There's something very noticeable about the audience in that regard. I mean, like I remember doing the episode from 69 with Taylor, or was it 1970? And, you know, the audience in those episodes, just a, a mere sort of two, three years before... They seemed hip, you know, they seemed Carnaby Street hip, if you like. They, they, were all, they all seemed 20-something, or at least early 20s. But, you know, in this episode, although the people who are kept near the DJs during the between-song announcements are still a little bit like that, in the audience, frogging away, you do see proper yeah, kids. and they're fucking loving it, aren't they? Oh, they're... they're yeah. And yeah. we loved it too, so let's move on! There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Radio 1 News. In the news, Richard Nixon orders that the U.S. Air Force bomb the shit out of North Vietnam for 12 days with a break over Christmas because baby Jesus, to worldwide condemnation. Meanwhile, the Viet Cong are still boycotting peace talks in Paris. Can't imagine why. Harry Truman, the president of the USA who ordered the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, dies on Boxing Day at the age of 88. Kim Il-sung decides to change his job title and becomes the first president of North Korea. 
The American mathematician Edward Lorenz publishes a paper which introduces the world to the butterfly effect. A newspaper in Uruguay reveals that 16 survivors from a rugby team whose plane crashed in the Andes had their dead mates for tea and probably shoved the bones up each other's arses for a laugh because you know what rugby sorts are like. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, West Germany's Stern magazine reports that a skull found by some builders in West Berlin could belong to Martin Bormann. It would be another 26 years before DNA testing proves them right. In the UK, a listener's poll in the Radio 4 programme The World at One has voted for its Man of the Year, Enoch Powell. Of course. (laughs) An Icelandic patrol boat has cut the wires of a trawler from Hull in the North Sea, ramping up the Cod War. Howard Hughes has suddenly turned up in London and immediately blockbooks the entire north wing of the Park Lane Hotel for a thousand pounds a night. He was rushed through Gatwick Airport despite not having a passport, and he's expected to throw handfuls of money of British businesses, invest in assorted schemes both here and on the continent, and wear some tissue boxes on his feet. Princess Anne has been spotted trying to kill some foxes with a mystery man who turns out to be Captain Mark Phillips, sparking rumours of a potential engagement by sad bastards who are into that sort of thing. (laughs) Molly, a performing chimp appearing at a Christmas show in Leeds wearing a dress and frilly knickers, escapes through the audience, gets out into the street and eventually breaks into someone's house and watches the racing on the telly with them for a bit before being recaptured. (laughs) Tommy Docketer, the new manager of Man United, has made his first signing. George Graham of Arsenal for £120,000. United, currently languishing at second from bottom in Division 1, would end up avoiding relegation, but went down the season after that. But the big news this week is that Santa's been. <laughs> you were too young for this Christmas shit, weren't you? Yeah, pretty much. Four months, yeah. I think I was. Well, on your behalf, I got loads of space stuff. <laughs> sort of wind-up nice. spacemen and moon launchers and shit like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is it. this is the curse of my life. You talk about the curse of being born in 1972. Imagine being born in 1968 and having no memory of seeing any moon landing stuff on the <laughs> telly. That hurts, man. The last moon mission finished a month ago. I can't. I can't think. Of, I, I can't remember a single thing about it. Mm. I suspect that it all happened in Porth Call, you know. <laughs> I heard something on the internet. <laughs> on the cover of the NME this week, Jimi Hendrix. There's a new story about an official film biography coming out in the new year. On the cover of Pop Swap, Donny Osmond. On the cover of the Christmas Radio Times, Bruce Forsyth, Morecambe and Wise, Lulu and a stuffed lion. All circused up to commemorate Billy Smart's circus thing on Christmas Day. On the cover of TV Times, Jack Smethurst and Rupert Walker in Santa costumes, indulging in a bit of festive racism. (laughs) Love Thy Neighbour featured in the all-star comedy carnival on ITV on Christmas night, presented by Jimmy Tarr, but we mentioned it before. Bloody Nora, It's a Black Christmas, etc., etc. The number one (laughs) single this week... Long-haired lover from Liverpool by little Jimmy Osmond. Don't worry, Pop Crazy Youngsters, it's not on this episode. The number one LP, 
20 all-time greats of the 50s. The highest place new LP is Slade by Slade at number five. Over in America, the US number one single is Me and Mrs. Jones by Billy Paul and the number one LP, Seventh Sojourn by the Moody Blues. Chap, shockingly, Americans, who are after all to blame for the trend of ramming Christmas up people's arses from October onwards and think they own the fucking holiday. Never been asked about the Christmas number one, have they? No, they haven't, have they? Isn't that weird? Yeah. It's a completely British phenomenon. Would you care to hear a list of the Christmas number ones in America from 1970 to 1989? Mm. Yeah, all right. Hear yeah. the music. 1970, Tears of a Clown, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Three. 1971, Brand New Key, Melanie. Mm. 1972, as we've said, Me and Mrs. Jones, Billy Paul. Mm-hmm. 1973, The Most Beautiful Girl, Charlie Rich. Mm. 1974, Cats in the Cradle, Harry Chapin. Nah, fuck off. 1975, That's the Way I Like It by Casey and the Sunshine Band. Cheers. 1976, Tonight's the Night, Rod Stewart. Ugh, Jesus, no. 1977, How Deep Is Your Love, The Bee Gees. Beautiful. 1978, Le Freak by Chic. Yes. 1979, the last number one in America of the 70s, Escape, the Pina Colada song by <laughs> Rupert Holmes. Fucking hell. 1980, Lady, Kenny Rogers. 1981, Physical, Olivia Newton-John. Yeah. 1982, yeah, Maneater, Hall & Oates. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. 1983, Say, Say, Say by Paul McCartney and Michael <laughs> Jackson. 1984, like a Virgin, Madonna. Vaguely festive, I suppose. Meh. 1985, Say You, Say Me, Lionel Richer. <sighs> 1986, Walk Like an Egyptian, The Bangles. Yeah, go on then. 1987, Faith, George Michael. <sighs> 1988, Every Rose Has Its Thorn by Poison. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. And 1989, Another Day in Paradise by Phil Collins. No sleigh bells, no cliff, no jive bunny. Why do Americans hate baby Jesus, I ask you? <laughs> That's fucked, isn't it? I mean, the whole idea of a Christmas record is just foreign to them, completely foreign yeah. to them. There are some corking records in there, but bloody hell. Yes, there are. Uh, that's the way I like it. Fucking tune. No, I mean, we had Don't You Want Me, of course, but, you know, mm. it's, it's a big part of Christmas here, hearing mm. those Christmas songs. Christmas songs mean something to us. That two-word phrase, I guess it means fuck all to... I mean, if every rose has its thorn, it's a fucking Christmas song to Americans. Jesus. Yeah. Although, really, that, yeah. that only only started in the 70s because in the 60s the Beatles used to put a single out every Christmas mm. and that was always mm. number one at Christmas and it was, you know, yeah. it was never about Christmas mm. so anyway boys what were you doing in December of 1972 well uh, I've not got a lot of memories I was four months old living in the roughest area of Coventry Woodend Ooh. but you know innocent of what was going on outside <laughs> yeah basically what sitting in my own shit I guess four months old I'd, yeah. I'd, um, oddly enough my par- I don't know why my parents did this but literally when I was about a week old in early August we'd gone to India 
um, which obviously I don't have many wow. memories of. There are photos of me. Just a newborn on a nine-hour Air India flight to India. Very strange. But Fucking yeah, hell. all that was over. So yeah, in my little flat in Woodend, um, the Woodend that would later, you know, be part of the enemy's own strategy to make themselves look hard by saying stuff is going <laughs> no. off Woodend style, whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, not a lot of memories, to be honest with you, but happy as Larry. Yeah, what was I doing Christmas night? I was screaming and crying. <laughs> so I'd come mm. full circle, really. <laughs> what were your parents doing? Ah, when my dad was working at Courtauld's in Coventry, he'd finished his uh, degree at Nuneaton Technical College, um, and he was uh, mm. working there in Courtauld's on Foldhill Road. And my mum was doing, doing what? Um, yeah, this is it. Did everyone know what their dad did for a living? I mean, I knew he was an engineer. Eventually, I think when I was about 10, mm. he, he explained what type of engineer. He was a costings engineer, thrillingly enough. He didn't make a chocolate biscuit machine or anything like that. <laughs> no, unfortunately, no. And my mum was the matron of the old people's home that we were living in. And that was sort of the story for most of the 70s. So yeah. my mum would be matron and we'd live in the flat above all the old folk. Wow. So, yeah, even as a baby, I was being toted around, passed around, basically, between old folk who otherwise would just be staring into the distance, mm. um, you know, uh, with with sad memories etched on their eyeballs, really. <laughs> but, yeah, I was completely oblivious to this. So the usual snuff deliveries and the rest. Yes. Yeah, I hadn't met my parents yet. I was still waiting to be adopted. So uh, <laughs> oh. I, was, I was one of those uh, babies who, this Christmas... Has no home. Oh no, the little boy that Santa Claus forgot. Yeah, I know, but yeah. Oh, it breaks your fucking yeah. heart, man. No, it didn't do. It didn't do me any harm in the long run. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was four, and 1972 was a, another golden year in my life. Mm. I'd started the year at Lino's, which was the bingo hall in Ice and Green, where my mum worked as a cleaner and a caller because uh, the nursery was too far away. And I fucking loved it there. Old converted cinema. So loads of massively long games of hide and seek and playing with the toys in the prize bingo section. And most importantly, singing on the microphone next to the bingo blower. One of the songs we're going to hear in this episode, I was very fond of shouting. But by this time, December, I'd been let into Scott Home Infant School a year earlier. My mum always says to me that, that I could read by 18 months and I'm like really and she said well you know we'd be sitting on the bus and another bus would go by the other end and you'd point up at the poster the advertising poster on the side of the bus which was a packet of fish fingers and you just shout bird's eye fish fingers <laughs> anyway I was let into Scott Home Infant School a year early on the basis of me recognizing a massive photo of a fish finger <laughs> And I do remember the first day there because I can remember my mum taking me and uh, Miss Baxter was there, who was lovely. She was a proper, you know, 70s go-ahead young teacher, mm. uh, played the guitar. And she asked me what my dad did. And I said, oh, he's, he's a lorry driver, miss. And then she asked me what my mum did. And I knew she was a cleaner. And I couldn't think of the word cleaner. So I just said, oh, she's a scrubber, miss. <laughs> And my mum pissing herself laughing and then giving me a right fucking clonk afterwards. <laughs> so by this time, I'm pitched into the, you know, the cut and thrust of Scott Home Infant School. And I fucking love it. And um, practically the first thing I learned at that school was that Thursday was pop day. 
because that's yeah. when we had the dinner time disco, you know, half a pizza to get in, which I mentioned before. Mm. And I became the token white member of the Rudy guys, the smooth <laughs> faces of the assembly hall who danced in a line like the stylistics while everyone else was skidding about and fucking the knees of their flares up. And <laughs> it, it was they who told me in hushed tones about this amazing thing that was going to be on the telly later that evening, where the, the gods of our era would descend from the planet WOW and make themselves available to us. Um, Top of the Pops is not in my life yet. Mm. You know, I haven't linked up with Tony Bones and his mam, who is the fucking patron saint and goddess of chart music. So that all happens next year. But for the minute, I'm dipping a toe into pop and I'm liking what I'm hearing. Yeah, and you would be in this year. I mean, I was thinking about those news yeah. stories that you read out earlier al and it was all pretty much unremittingly grim wasn't it uh, mm. apart from you know yeah uh, the inspirational figure of molly the chimp but um, yes but but yeah you'd need pop in a year in a year such as this yeah um, as some kind of escape i've been flicking through melody maker and new musical express of this week and they are moaning like fuck about how you know oh this is fucking kids stuff all this rubbish mm. But it's not. I listen to the stuff we're going to talk about now, and it's just fucking brilliant pop music. It's pure pop. And it just so happens that me as a kid could totally understand it. Yeah. As I said before about the suite, you know, I was four, five, six when I was banging to them, and I never get upset thinking, oh, if I'd have been 14 or 15 or 16, I would have understood them even more. Mm. I, I didn't have to be that old to get a lot of the stuff that we're going to see in this episode. Completely. It was just brilliant. It, it wasn't childish. It was universal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a lot you know of, what I mean? Yeah, there's a lot of that sort of music in this episode. Stuff that basically is perfect for kids who've got the jitters in their legs, you know, and yes. just need to move. It's that kind of stuff. So before we go any further, why don't we do our usual thing and peruse the pages of an issue of the music press from this week. And this time I have gone for Melody Maker, December the 30th, uh-huh. 1972. Do you want to join me on this journey, chaps? Oh, yes, please. Mm-hmm. Yes, please. On the cover, look into the future because, hey, it's only just begun. The maker hits us with the headline, Face of 73. Elkie Brooks, the hard-biting lady from Salford, Lancashire, (laughs) and her raw jeans and sweat band, Vinegar Joe, look like becoming the working-class heroes of 1973. Since the early 60s, Elkie has shivered her way through more changes in pop and rock than most people would care to remember. She was on the first Beatles tour of the States. But now, Joe are slamming their way through a staggering amount of live club work and are rapidly becoming everyone's favourite live band. So be prepared for a little vinegar in your rock in 1973. <laughs> absolutely nothing. It's a shame yeah. Dave Lee Travis didn't find out how hard-biting she was. Yes. In that episode we did a while ago. In the news, the Makers News section this week is rammed with new tour announcements with free... Bread, the new Seekers, Sweet and Wings announcing shows across the country. But the top story is the comeback of Eric Clapton after two years with a gig at the Rainbow, supported by a supergroup led by Pete Townsend. My Eric Clapton history is reassuringly shaky, but was this when he (laughs) just got off heroin with uh, some kind of bullshit quack electric acupuncture? 
treatment. <laughs> it's, which, it's quite an expensive way to cease buying heroin and then putting it into <laughs> your body, which is all you're actually doing. Uh, mm. But fucking hell, who am I to lecture Eric Clapton about science? MCA Records have announced a worldwide five album deal with a band from Dundee, the Average White Band. They're being whipped over to Los Angeles to record their debut LP, Show Your Hand, which features the original band logo, a white gollywog, which is almost immediately replaced by the one with a woman's arse forming a W. Oh, a white gollywog. You can't have that nowadays, man. (laughs) <laughs> well out of those two logos which is the most offensive in a way mm. I don't think I'd be offended by a white gollywog to be honest but you'd be offended by an arse <laughs> no I wouldn't be offended by an arse I guess but um, what about a white gollywog's no, arse that's beyond the pale out now I'm not having <laughs> <laughs> one Scottish band who isn't having such a good time of it at the moment is the JSD band the folk rockers who supported David Bowie on the first leg of the Ziggy Stardust tour They travelled 200 miles just before Christmas to a gig in Cheshire to discover that their instruments, that were in a separate band which was involved in a multiple crash outside of Hull, which led three people dead, had been impounded by the police and the promoter had already replaced them with Manchester's answer to the Grateful Dead, Greasy Bear. (laughs) (laughs) Not a vintage era for band names. (laughs) Flaky pastry, etc., etc. <laughs> oh, by the way, the big news story in the enemy this week is that hot on the heels of the Osmonds and the Jackson Five, a British group is planning their own cartoon series, T Rex. Mark Boland says that he's currently working on the idea and has already fleshed out scripts and storylines and plans to have it all done in house and then offer it to TV stations. Sadler, it's it's all bollocks. Yeah. Got it. Got yeah. it. Yeah, the funny thing is, though, I feel like I've seen it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. It's so easy to imagine exactly what that show mm. at that time would have been like. That, yeah, it would have been crystal tips in trousers. Yeah, but I, it means I can just watch it in my head. Yes. It's all right, you know, nothing special. Yeah. Worth seeing if you get the chance. Inside the paper, well, page three is given over to the writers of the maker, not naked, but laying their hot tips for 73 upon the readership. Richard Williams firmly lumps onto who he calls the first cabaret star of the Beatle generation and the perfect artist for ageing hippies who can't be doing with Bolin and Boer, Bette Midler. Other writers go for Home, John Martin, Stackridge, Glencoe and Gentle Giant, but Roy Hollingworth wins the prize for the following article. They had a very good year this year, actually, but this punky, long-haired, scruffy, loud, ear-kicking band will certainly cause a few bruises in the year to come. Loud enough to be illegal, it's stuff to grind your heels to, grind your teeth to, and grind your minds to. Music may well become exceedingly angry next year, and they are angrier than most. They also have a habit of making people dance, which at this moment is the right direction. Come on down. Can you guess, Neil? Oh, no, I can't. No, Chicory tip? I don't fucking know. <laughs> Status quo. Oh. 
Wow. The main interview this week is part two of Michael Watts' trip to Jamaica to doss about with the Rolling Stones, who have commenced work on Goat's Head Soup. After knocking about with Mick Jagger for part one, he has a sit-down with Keith Richard, who says he dislikes not being able to live in England for tax reasons, but doesn't feel out of touch as he listens to the BBC World Service every day. But the British media chooses not to point out that people in Western Europe live twice as well as the British. He tells Watts that there are worse places to live than his current domicile, Switzerland, but says it's the most uncreative place in the world because they're all minted. He talks about the recent tour of America and feels that the place has calmed down a bit since 1969 and speculates it's because American kids have become proper custard gannets. (laughs) The centre spread is given over to more gazing into the crystal ball of 1973, this time by, quote, the big names of music. Tony Iommi reckons that the big event of 1972 was the staging of Tommy at the Rainbow last month after it was banned from the Albert Hall. Rory Gallagher predicts, or at least hopes, that glam will die out next year. Hawkwind accused Gary Glitter of destroying a lot of the integrity that was once part of rock. Mm -hmm. Brian Connolly of the Suite states that the head scene is gradually losing its hold and Slade were the band of the year, but he doesn't think they'll last in 73. And Bob Harris has written 1972 off as an unmemorable year for music. Of course he has, Yeah, I write it off as an unremarkable year for Bob Harris. Much like (laughs) 1973-1974-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1977-1
This is contemporary music at its best, a perfect blend of the singer-songwriter movement with the red-blooded vitality of rock. It's not her best album, they're all marvellous, but it's the one that's going to break her to the great British public via the single You're So Vain. It was Bob Harris, I think, who said recently that Carly Simon was becoming ominously fashionable. I hope so. Ominously fashionable. Did he get through the whole review without mentioning the uh, fact that the cover features what I've always assumed to be a lewd visual gag on the album's title? No. No. Well, if so, what kind of uh, 1970s male rock journalist is this? Eh? <laughs> you can see her nipples for fuck's sake. Come on. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because mm-hmm. um, John Lennon used to call her nipples, didn't he? When he was knocking about with Harry Nielsen. Oh, of course, yeah. Well, maybe that's how Alan Lewis ended up being the head of IPC's entire music press department <laughs> in later life. He's responsible. Motown have finally put out Ben, Michael Jackson's second solo LP over here, just in time for him to gnaw away at your little sister's Christmas record token. But Alan Lewis is still confused about the title track, which is currently at number eight in the singles chart. It must be the strangest hit of the year. How many of the weenies who are currently shivering with delight at Michael's dulcet tones realise he's singing to a rat? And if they don't realise, do they think he's singing to his boyfriend? I can only report that Michael continues to amaze with the boldness and maturity of his phrasing and his sense of swing. But it's a coat down for Clear Spot by Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band, which gets the headline, No Heart, No Beef. I can only be totally baffled by this, says Richard Hollingworth. Here is the captain, here is one hell of a roaring band, and all we get are fairly acceptable numbers that you won't rush back to yeah. in a hurry. Wrong, wrong, <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong. That's a fucking great record. Yeah, it's mm. astonishing how underappreciated Clear Spot was at the time. So can you people, people actually listened to Big Eyed Beans from Venus and thought, hmm, I... <laughs> Won't rush back to this in a hurry. <laughs> Too busy listening to Vinegar Joe. Or Greasy Bear. <laughs> Keeper of the Castle, the first LP by the Four Tops after their defection from Motown, has disappointed Alan Lewis. Deprived of real meat, the Tops can easily sink into the kind of well-upholstered mediocrity, which puts them nearer to Las Vegas than Detroit, says Lewis, who compares the LP very unfavourably to Nature Planned It, their last Motown LP, which came out earlier this year. Unhappily for Probe, their new label, that final Tamla album reminded us what the Tops can really do. Buy that before you buy this. And Lewis finds time to put the boot in on the Roscoe album. This album, which contains 12 hoary old soul classics linked by some typically frantic patter by Emperor Roscoe, began life as a promotional aid for discotheques and put on the market presumably for those who want an instant DJ kit to enliven their parties. Well, if you really need this, your party is beyond resuscitation. In the gig guide, well... 
David could have seen sparks at the marquee. Jail bait at Islington Sun Rock. The average white band at the speakeasy. Or took himself down to the Golders Green Odeon to check out Cinderella with Ed Stewart, Barbara Windsor and Jacke, Mr. TV, Palo. Taylor could have seen Edwin Starr at Barbarella's or nipped down to Wolverhampton to see Cinderella at the Grand starring Donna and Freddie Garrity. Fucking hell. (laughs) I think I'd rather count the bees in a hive naked. Neil could have seen Steeler's Wheel at Dudley JB's or Aladdin at the Coventry Theatre with Mike and Bernie Winters. Oh, and Schnorbits? No, no Schnorbits is yet. No Schnorbits, okay. Sarah could have seen the equals at Scarborough Intercon, Judge Dredd at Scunthorpe Baths, Chicken Shack at the Hull Intercon, or nipped over to Peniston Town Hall to see the new Elvis documentary, That's the Way It Is. Al could have seen Fumble at the Intercon, Jigsaw and Desmond Decker at the Intercon, Emperor Roscoe at the Intercon, or Judas Priest at Hucknall Miners Welfare. Oh, my word. (laughs) What a show that would have been. Yeah. Jigsaw and Desmond Decker. It can't be that Jigsaw, (laughs) surely. Not Ducky Des. (laughs) And Simon could have seen Bobby Crush at Tito's in Cardiff all week and fuck all else. Because, hey, what else do you need when Bobby Crush is there all week? (laughs) Yeah, but worth the trip to see Judas Priest at Hucknall Miners Welfare. In the letters page, the main topic of conversation is still what Paul McCartney said in a Melody Maker interview about Northern Ireland, but the letters are too boring to go into, and it's clear they're only there so Melody Maker can use a massive cartoon of Macca as a dove of peace perched upon a microphone. The fury over my ding-a-ling by Chuck Berry continues unabated, and Christopher Pearson of Pearly has his say. The real obscenity is not the Shakespearean bawdiness of Chuck Berry, but the mechanical plasticity of the Osmonds. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Anyone who likes the Osmonds is a robot sheep. <laughs> <laughs> Melody Maker has been banging on all year about what a place of artistic freedom New Orleans is, but Gene Nunez Jr., a muso who lives there, writes to say that he reckons it's cat shit. <laughs> For rock musicians, New Orleans has nothing to offer. The club audiences on Bourbon Street are only interested in hearing local bands play carbon copies of the latest heavy sounds and playing original material or blues are too ways to find yourself and your gear being ushered out he writes oh fucking hell mate come to Ucknall it's all going on there mate (laughs) I'm sick to death of listening to people going on about the genius of Tommy says Steve Mendel of Pyram I for one think this so-called opera is a cheap pretentious attempt to bring a ray of culture into the scruffy lives of the who (laughs) bands like the Mahavishnu Orchestra and Weather Report must always struggle because their music requires some concentration and you can't get off on it straight away while bands such as the who using simple repetitive chords and phrases will always flourish it's just not fair man those simple repetitive chords and phrases that's not rock and roll no yeah when that letter started off i'm sick and tired of hearing about the genius of tommy i thought you were going to say uh mm. writes bobby ball of oldham 
until October the 24th, I had heard nothing of Genesis and was still listening to Bolan and the Boppers. After that evening, I was completely changed, says Andrew Dyer of Gosport. Not only are they original, but they sing such imaginative lyrics. It shows the older generation that not all bands are thick dropouts. <laughs> right, because nothing could be more important than showing the older generation that. <laughs> Michael Pinner of Winchester speculates that all this glam rock camper air is going to result in a right-wing back clash so intense that Enoch Powell will look moderate. Mm. Philip James Durrell of Hampstead thinks that Amon Dull 2 are the... Am I saying this right? Yeah, yeah I think so. How, how can I say it wrong to offend David the most? <laughs> Amon Dull 11. <laughs> Philip James Durrell of Hampstead thinks that Amon Dull 11 are the most fantastic combination of true progressive sounds I have ever experienced. Miss Carol Gardner of the Goldhawk Road points out that Slade have nicked their habit of misspelled song titles from Sly and the Family Stone. Yeah. And Jay Worrell of Birmingham is disgusted that Yes have bypassed the second city on its latest tour. There's no doubt they would sell out even with two performances. People from all over the Midlands would flock to see them. <laughs> Maybe they just can't find Birmingham. Maybe they're having the same problems as you, Neil. Too bloody right, yeah. 40 pages, 8p. I never knew there was so much in it. And judging by the critical content, I think like 8p's fair enough. Mm. Um, there's so much snobbery, isn't there? Yes. This mechanical plasticity. Yes. <laughs> it, it's really noticeable. And that word mediocrity. And, mm. and, and it, not only in the letters, but also in the writing. Yes. That tendency to be like over loquacious um, to try and prove smart. It's almost like the whole thing is, is kind of, I don't know, is the demographic kind of university students. It seems yeah. like a kind of a middle class sneering at working class pop quite often. A lot yes. of things that you've read out there. So what else was on telly today? Well, BBC One starts the day at a quarter to ten with a repeat of The Sky at Night, where Patrick Moore asks, how far are the stars? That's followed by an episode of Desert Crusader, the French kids' action series that's essentially the flashing blade with sand. Then Annie Nightingale presents Before the Event, a documentary about the Salisbury Pony Club. Could see that the only female on Radio 1's getting a proper tune. <laughs> yeah, they also sent her to deal with anything to do with children. Mm. Although, actually, mm. thinking of who else was working at Radio 1 at the Probably. time, that might not <laughs> yes. have been a bad idea. After Hucklebury Hound, Bob Langley walks 250 miles on Britain's longest footpath from Derbyshire to Scotland in the Pennine Way. After a repeat of the Mastermind final, Mammy Two-Shoes slings Tom out of the house and he and Jerry conspire to get him back in, in the Lonesome Mouse. That's followed by Jimmy Young Asks, where the Maggie-loving, bold, automatic shill finds out how the people of Hoxton manage to cope with life. (laughs) After the news, it's Bob Langley again on Pebble Mill at One. Then it's Pogel's Wood. Then the 1958 Ingrid Bergman film, The Inn of the Six Happiness. After Play School, presented by Miranda Connell and the late, great Rick Jones, Bernard Cribbins reads Beauty and the Beast in Jack and Ore, then Singleton, Noakes, Purvis and Judd review Blue Peter's highlights of 1972, which include a whistling lady footballer and an exploding piano. 
then it's Yogi Bear, the news, regional news in your area, nationwide, and they've just finished tomorrow's world with the Triforce of Baxter, Woolard and Rod. Or, who would be the better prog band out of them two? Singleton, Noakes, Purvis and Judd, or Baxter, Woolard and Rod? (laughs) I think Baxter, Woolard and Rod. I mean, I I think, um, yeah. They'd have better effects, wouldn't they? Mm, Blue Peter would be more of a Canterbury scene thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it would just be an enormous Christmas crown made out of coat hangers, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think Singleton, Noakes, Purvis and Judd would be more on the sort of frilly filigree end, mm, you know, mm. high-pitched singing mm. and uh, Roger Dean cover, whereas um, Baxter, Woolard and Rod would be more like the, you know, blast your eardrums out, carry the equipment in three articulated lorries yeah. kind of band. <laughs> yes. Greasy bear, basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> BBC Two sets up shop at 11am with Play School, then closes down at 25 past 11, and it's off down the pub, then back at chucking out time for a kip under the desk, and then off to the pub again for something to line the stomach with, before nipping back at half past seven for newsroom. I say it again, what a DOS job working on BBC Two was in the 1970s, man. (laughs) ITV commences at 9.30, with an hour and 40 minutes of schools programmes before one way out the 1957 crime drama then it's regional news in your area the enchanted house shaking jack and Ore, and witch's brew the horror laden puppet show <laughs> after first report with robert key les dawson tim brooke taylor and lenny bennett pitch up on joker's hey. wild and then suicide and abortion rear their ugly heads on day two of the latest crown court After General Hospital, the cast of women today hold an early New Year crochet party with the assistance of the Birmingham and Midland Scottish Association and Viconti Bernard de la Girondere, who owns the Laurent Perrier Champagne House. Jack Hargreaves sucks on his pipe and talks to a wheelwright or summit in Out of Town, and that's followed by the drama series The Rivals of Sherlock Holmes. Then it's Land of the Giants, The New Dick Van Dyke Show, The News, Regional News in Your Area, Crossroads, and they're 20 minutes into the TV film Up the Down Staircase about an idealistic teacher and the sucky you she has to deal with. Oh, boys, Christmas is done, isn't it, in yeah. Tellyland? It's mental. There's oh, yeah. nothing festive in that at all. Well, the only festive thing on telly today is this episode of Top of the Pops, and it's not that festive, is it? No. No, and also, yeah, an hour and a half of schools programmes. Yes. People back in school. I was trying to look into this. Yeah. The, the section's called Out of School. Um, so I, th- I think they just bunged on some schools programmes just to fill some dead air, even <laughs> though no one's back at school yet. But you don't know it's the early 70s, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they drove those kids hard in those days. They did. Maybe it was for super swats. Yeah. yeah. Bloody creeps. Kinos. But it's, yeah, it's, it's not exactly the unforgettable Christmas television of ages past, is it? No, it's not eight episodes of Only Fools and Horses, is it? <laughs> yeah, like back to back with a pre recorded continuity announcement in between, running from a laptop in an empty room. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you don't look at those listings and think, see, this is what we've lost now. No. You know, mm. now that we're able to watch what we want whenever we want, mm. you know. I remember Christmases of my youth, the sheer joy of a whole nation being forced to sit down together mm. at Christmas and all watch the Two Ronnies 1978 yeah. Christmas special, Two Ronnies One Cup. <laughs> <laughs> 98 million viewers. Yes. Got. 
and 146 million complaints. <laughs> but not from me, I can tell you that. Well, chaps, I do believe that this, not feast, not Christmas feast, more of a Christmas buffet, isn't it? Mm, and, mm. you know, there's an absolute feast of pop awaiting us. But before we go any further, you know, it's that time of the year where we should all sit back and share a moment of contemplation. Brought to you directly from the pages of the Sunday People from Christmas Eve, 1972. <laughs> a Merry Christmas, dear friend. Was there ever such a crazy, mixed-up season as Christmas 1972? On the one hand, it's the biggest, brightest, booziest season of the year, and at the same time some of us will be lonely, lost, and our tree will hang with tears instead of tinsel. So do me a favour, folks. This year, open up your hearts and your home. Before the feeding and frolics finish, be a detective and find someone who has no one. Ring up the local welfare office. Knock on a stranger's door if you think they are alone and have them round for dinner or tea. Be a pain in the neck to everyone until you find someone. At least try and I promise you'll feel happy. Like, fantastic. One of our top pop stars has already phoned me and said, Hey, can you find two orphan kids to join the wife and me for Christmas Day? That's the spirit, and it'll do you more good than the other spirit, that's for sure. For me, without my darling Duchess to fill my stocking for the first time in life, I've asked my friend God and Father Christmas to find me lots of people so I can fill theirs. God bless you all, your pal, Jimmy Savile OBE. Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, Christ almighty. Oh. Weren't you expecting that? I was expecting something. I was braced, but not for that. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Jimmy with his tree decked with tears. Rolling about in his mum's clothes. Hmm. Yeah, I used to do that, but no, I couldn't deal with the hassle, so now I just use fake tears. <laughs> do I want to know who the pop star was? Do we know? I'd love to know. Married. Wants two orphans. <laughs> it's like he's ordered. Mm. Nothing done to a crisp brown turn, please. <laughs> yes. In breadcrumbs, please, Jimmy. <laughs> Speaking as a parentless child in the care of social services in Christmas 1972, let's just say I pretended to be asleep when he came around. <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, Pop Crazy Youngsters, we're going to step away before plunging deep in part two of episode 63 of It's a Christmas Chart Music. So, thank you very much, Neil Kulkarna. No problem. See you down the line, Taylor Parks. You will. My name's Al Needham. Merry whatever you do at this time of the year. And stay pop crazed. <laughs> Sharp music. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.